Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Adam Nathan, the founder and CEO of Almanac, a collaboration platform for remote teams to write, approve, and organize their docs. In 2018, after years of working in product roles and getting frustrated with inefficient work tools and endless meetings, Adam quit his job and set out to start his own company. He spent over a year validating different ideas before picking Almanac. But launching a horizontal product poses huge challenges, and it was no different for Adam. When your product can work for everyone, it's easy to dilute your messaging and end up grabbing no one's attention. And so it's no surprise that Adam and his co-founders struggled to find their target customers. However, today, Almanac is a seven-figure ARR business with over 50 employees, tens of thousands of customers, and $45 million in VC funding. In this episode, you'll learn why after quitting his job, Adam took a whole year to thoroughly test and validate different ideas before settling on Almanac. What the founders built first to validate their two-sided marketplace instead of diving straight into building the product. And it wasn't an MVP. How content marketing and influencer promotions helped Almanac to get their first thousand customers. We also talk about how Adam had to maintain optimism and stability for his team, even after losing all three of his co-founders. And what Adam did to overcome the challenges of building a horizontal product and helping his team to finally get clarity and focus. So I hope you enjoy. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Adam, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? I do. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can where you are with what you've got. And I love that one. Love it. A great quote for any entrepreneur and founder. So tell us about Almanac. What does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Almanac is a wiki and workflow tool that makes distributed teams faster. Uh, we save distributed teams more than a million hours in wasted work each year with fewer meetings, faster responses, and less overhead. Love it. That was that was one of the most succinct elevator pitches I've heard for a while. Great. Uh, give us a sense of the size of the business. Where are you in terms of revenue, number of customers, size of team? 
Yeah, uh, we have tens of thousands of customers. We're actually just coming out of beta in a couple of weeks, but we've been uh, in a years long beta period just to make sure the product really works well for our customers. Uh, and during that time, we've been able to um, bring on some of, uh, I think, the best remote teams around companies like Doist and Credit Karma and Andela, as well as very large guild organizations from the American Red Cross to the Emmys to Indeed. Well, wow. and, and what's the size of the team? About 50 people. And revenue? We don't disclose that, but seven figures. <laughs> You're a seven-figure ARR business. Okay, great. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about where the idea for this product came from. So the business was founded in January 2019. So I guess 2018 was about the time you were ready to make the leap and and you know start working on this business. So what were you doing at the time, and and where did this idea come from? Well, I'm a systems engineer by uh, by training. It's what I got my first uh, master's degree in. And for, I guess, the eight years before Almanac, I was a product manager at Apple and Lyft and a fintech called Borrow. And you know, my, I think my job, on my job description at least, was to help build products people would love. But what I actually spent my days doing wasn't really that. It was you know sitting in meetings that were back-to-back, constantly looking at uh, my Slack and email to see uh, the next 100 messages that I, I didn't uh, read yet. All the while, often just trying to figure out very basic answers to basic questions like, what did my boss think of my idea? And did the team read this yet? And did I get feedback on this proposal? Uh, and it and often felt like pushing a ball through mud. It certainly wasn't work I woke up in the morning to do. It wasn't the work I felt I was hired to do. And, and it wasn't really satisfying at the end of the week. It, I often feel like I, I didn't really get what I wanted to done. And I had this contrast with the engineers I worked with who used a tool called GitHub, which is essentially an asynchronous collaboration platform for working on code. And the engineers on my team were way more productive than, than I was at actually moving the needle on, on work that mattered, and they were seemingly happier. <laughs> and so I started thinking, what is it about the way engineers work that uh, makes them so productive and so, so much faster than me? And it, are there ways to translate that into the kind of business and knowledge work that uh, me and my colleagues were doing? Okay, great. So you're experiencing this pain firsthand. You kind of are thinking about a solution. Eventually, the you know what you want to go and build becomes clearer over time. How did you get started? Like a lot of people have great ideas and then go back to work. You know, did you quit your job right away and start building the product? Did you do it as a sort of a side gig and kind of work your way up? Like how did how did things happen? Yeah, well, I, I'd say that the idea that became Almanac wasn't the first idea I had. I tested, I think over a year, a whole bunch of ideas, both testing the idea and also trying to find uh, co-founders to do it with. And, and in, I think in, in the, the pre-Almanac days, uh, the device I used was to write a business plan because I, even though it sounds uh, kind of quaint and anachronistic, <laughs> I think a business plan forces you to think through all the elements of the business, like how are you going to acquire customers and what does it cost to serve them and what are the product requirements and what's the market size. And so there's a bit of like background research initially just to get smart around um, the ideas I was investigating. Uh, and and it, I was looking at things from like a direct-to-consumer wine company <laughs> to uh, like a, a meditation app. So I was, I was really, I think, playing the field uh, and, you know, quickly in a lot of cases learned either the market wasn't there or was too competitive or you know, the unit economics didn't work or it would take too long to grow. And so that was a helpful way to narrow down ideas. But I think the most important input I was looking for was customer feedback. And I, I think uh, with startups, you want to find an idea or at least a value proposition that people react to quickly. Um, I compare it to uh, dating where, you know, if, if you have to find uh, someone to marry on the, the first or second date, you want that first or second date to be like, not just like a, you know, seven out of 10 or an eight out of 10, you want it to be like 9.9 .9 out of 10 or 11 out of 10, just like sparks flying. And that's because, um, you know, startups, startups are really about growing fast. Uh, the, the whole point of a startup is, is to build a high growth business, especially if you're taking venture capital. And so you need to find an idea that you know, people almost want to buy without even seeing the product yet. You know, they'll put in their credit card on a landing page, or they follow up after you talk to them on an interview, saying like, "Hey, can I get access?" Um, because they're so excited about it. Uh, and that means that you know, you can build something that's um, relatively rough in a short period of time, and it will it will grow from the start such that more investment will make it grow even faster. And so, you know, I was looking for that kind of spark with the idea, and I remember after trying a bunch of ideas out and not really getting that kind of feedback from customers, when I would talk about Almanac, just the idea of it to my friends, people would be like, that's amazing. Uh, can you do it right now so that I can start using it? And so I, I had a sense of some traction there, like just electricity in people's responses. And then as I started kind of 
finding, bringing on co-founders and building a team. Um, and this is before we raised any money. You know, I remember just saying, hey, like, let's put up a landing page and see if people wanted to contribute um, ideas or sign up. And we just got traction so fast from so many people that it, the, the business started pulling itself. And, and that was a great sign to keep moving forward with it. Yeah. So a couple of questions. The, the, you said you spent about a year kind of figuring out what to go and do. Were you still working at the time or had you already quit your job? No, I quit my job. Um, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm an idealist by nature. So I, I knew that I couldn't just work on any business. And I envy founders out there that don't really care what the business is. They you know, love the ownership of it um, or the freedom it gives. I'm the kind of person where the idea, the vision, the mission matter a lot. And so uh, that, all, that, that constrained me already. But you know, I, I knew that I, I needed to kind of validate <laughs> um, what the concept was before I really went into something. And so I spent the year mainly looking around to try and find that spark I was talking about. I think it's interesting that a lot of uh, founders go and talk to customers and they kind of say, I'm not sure if this resonated with them or not, or they told me they liked it, or they said it was a great idea. And as we know, sometimes people just say those things because they want to be nice. They they say what they think you want to hear. Doesn't mean that they're actually going to use the product or, or pay for it. But there's something about what you said about the spark that when you nail the right problem for the right type of customer and you're able to articulate it in the right way, it just happens. And then you know the difference in the reaction that you're getting from people, right? Yeah, I think that's that's true. The amazing thing about software today is that you can basically build anything. And so most businesses don't have technical risk, at least most of the time. You know, you can, if you find good engineers and designers, uh, you can you can build almost anything. And so the real risk for startups is around the market and whether there's an unmet customer need or, you know, latent customer demand there. And, and as I was saying, you know, it, most businesses don't have infinite runway up front. In fact, often they only have like 12 to 18 months worth of cash. And so you need to find an idea where essentially people want it so much that even with a average or bad product in many cases, people will buy it. Um, and, uh, and then that growth can fuel you know, longer runway, more investment, more momentum. I think that there's a lot of de-risking you can do around the business just <laughs> without ever touching a line of code. And I think many businesses rush too fast into building something when really I think the initial, the most important thing you can do initially is to talk to customers. And, you know, the greatest sign of validation is someone giving you their credit card uh, without ever even seeing the product because that means they want it so much um, that they're like willing to, to pay you money just to get access to it. And, and yes, I think there's a lot of um, ruinous empathy with humans where we don't want to disappoint each other. And so I think uh, there's kind of a spectrum of validations where on one end you have, you know, would you put in your credit card? Would you pay me money to, to get access to this? Um, you know, would you refer friends to get access to this? Would you spend time on a call with me? There's, there's a spectrum of kind of validation that goes from less believable to very believable. You know, certainly asking somebody, do you think this is a good idea or like, would you try this is not enough? Because most people would just say, yes, there's no cost to that for them to, to make you happy by saying that. And so we often say, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. <laughs> and, and the greatest way uh, of validating that, proving that is, is by someone paying you money. And, and ultimately, that's the whole point of the business. Yeah, yeah, love that. Okay, so you spend about a year, you get to the point where you have high confidence that you're going down the right track. The landing page that you've built is giving you additional validation that there is demand for this type of product. How long did it take you to build the first version of the product and start selling it? Yeah, so just to give you some context, you know, our vision was always to build basically GitHub for Docs. That's what we called it initially and what it is now, where we it, it takes a long time to build complex collaboration software like what we have done. Uh, so initially we started with essentially a templates gallery. We, it was an open source repository um, of best practices that people could copy and customize. And that's very similar to how engineers code. They often don't write everything themselves, but they borrow open source components for things like drop-down menus or login screens that are solved problems so that they can focus their time on work that actually matters. And nothing like that uh, we thought existed for product managers or marketers um, or ops teams. You know, people were constantly reinventing the wheel and starting from scratch. And so 
uh, where we started with the business was building this open source repository of templates. And so, you know, what we wanted to build was essentially a minimum ideal product at first. And so uh, we probably spent nine months building this platform uh, where uh, you could essentially search for templates. All of the templates were user contributed. So um, we didn't pay. They, they all came from experts in the field uh, that we, we, we basically recruited and worked with to refine these templates down. Then users on the other side of it, what was essentially a marketplace, could search for templates and then copy them into their own private Almanac workspace, which is now basically what the product has, has evolved to year, years later. Uh, and so we were building the product, but really what we were doing is validating the business model because what we had to do in these nine months were figure out how do we recruit contributors to give us templates for free? And then how do we generate demand on the other side? And in any marketplace, um, finding supply, whether it's you know drivers on Uber um, or you know reviewers on Yelp, that's the much harder side of the marketplace to figure out because if you have supply, demand often will come. And so in those nine months, while we were building the product, we were also validating essentially our value proposition to contributors and to to viewers you know how what's what's in it for them how do we recruit them where, where are they how do we how do we find them how do we talk to them how do we convert them how do we serve them and so it's a really important time for us to like figure out how the business worked and make sure that things were th- things were fitting nicely before we open it up to the world yeah so w- one thing i want to get some clarity on is when you said you didn't have a product, you started with the templates first. What format were these templates in? And how were people using them before Almanac was ready for them? So I, I think, uh, you know, we, we started essentially with this, this idea that like, people needed, you know, professionals needed new infrastructure for the digital economy. That was the high level idea that um, tools like Microsoft Word are designed for offices <laughs> and office culture. And that now that we're all working on the internet, um, we you know, needed new tools and mechanisms um, that were optimized for, for online collaboration and online productivity. Uh, and so that was the, the high level thesis initially. And this is all before COVID, <laughs> by the way. And so you know, where we started was, okay, people are starting from scratch and you know, if we're all working on the internet, all our documents are there, then we should all be able to like share and find generalized best practices I think we could have built a version of the product where these these templates that I was talking about were uploaded in Microsoft Word documents or were linked out to Google Docs, and then people could like copy them into those editors. What we decided to do instead was build our own platform. And so Almanac today is a modern, rich text, real-time document editor. And inside of it, there's um, versioning features that help you keep track of track changes. We have workflows for requesting feedback and approvals and red receipts. And so the idea is to in Almanac today to centralize collaboration next to where you're doing the work, which is what GitHub does. So we made this fateful decision early on, rather than to basically build a plugin into other people's products to build a platform ourselves. And so <laughs> uh, if I could go back in time and change things, uh, there's there's pros and cons of, of both approaches. You know, if you just build a plugin, then another, you know, the, another platform like Google Docs could have just easily copied our feature and then we would have been done. The downside of building a platform is it takes a very long time uh, and is really complicated. But uh, so, so we were not just building this templates gallery, but underneath building a document editor uh, and along with it, all of the permissioning and the organization and navigation features that, uh, that you need for a place that where you write stuff. Okay. So, so they were proprietary, but what was the, there must've been a window between the time where a contributor who you're persuaded to go and create a template and make it available and the time when the document editor is actually ready to be used with this template, which leads to the question, how are you persuading these people to create these templates? One, without paying them, and two, basically it was like, well, no one can use them right now, but at some time in the future they will. Yeah, it's a good question. And just to give you some context, you know, other uh, productivity platforms that are like a generation older than us, tools like uh, Figma and Airtable and Notion, all took between like seven and nine years from when they started building their product to when they reached a growth inflection point. Uh, and those are the success cases. And so it, it takes a very long time to, to, to build these types of products because you have to match all the features of uh, the incumbents like Google Docs or Microsoft Word. Then you have to find, you know, like a, a fatal crack in their armor that uh, is an unmet need for enough people. And then it all has to work well enough that 
people feel comfortable switching over or inspired to switch over because it's that much better. So it's a really hard strategic play. It takes a long time to execute well, yet you need uncompromising levels of excellence uh, in the in the product experience. And so we, we had started on, on that journey early, but as you mentioned, we, we, had, we weren't going to arrive there for many years. We also made it harder for ourselves in that we didn't want to pay contributors. We wanted it all to be um, like a free marketplace. And so there was a, a three-pronged pitch to contributors. One was around visibility. And so we were promising that when we launched, we were going to work to generate a ton of you know, visibility for their work. We were going to shower them in praise on social. Um, this is going to be kind of, there's profiles where they could like see how many people downloaded or copied their templates and they could use the profile to refer people to their places. Very similar to like the value proposition of a social network. Another part was uh, altruism. You know, a lot of people felt like Others had helped them in their careers get to get to where they were and, and gain all of their their skills and knowledge, and they wanted to pay it forward to others. I think largely those two things drove uh, people's contributions at first. We we paid a, a small, I think like maybe a hundred bucks to like the first two hundred contributors, but that you know for the the type of people we were getting, like Gibson Biddle was a chief product officer at Netflix, like it was a you know a fraction of what they were actually paid <laughs> per hour, uh, and so uh, it it. It was amazing that we were able to gain, you know, by now we have, we have thousands of contributors on what we now call the Almanac Core. Um, we were able to get them just, just through kind of this, a more altruistic message. I think other products like Substack or Patreon have, have proven out that like if, if, you, if we did allow people to, for example, gate their content and charge for it, we probably could have even gotten even more contributors. I think looking back, that's, that's something I would have loved to have tested, but we were we were really convinced of this idea that the content had to be um, open and free in order for us to use it as an acquisition channel. Uh, most most of the products I mentioned, like Notion or Airtable and Figma, they they all they they um, grew initially through basically building their own versions of template scal- template galleries. Because if you're building a productivity solution, what templates help do is contextualize the product. Like, what am I supposed to use this for? Am I the right customer? How does it work? Templates are all really easy ways to do that versus like complicated product marketing. So we knew by investing in templates early, um, we could build like a huge organic channel for us that would rank well in SEO over time, gain trust with customers, and ultimately teach people how to use the product. So it was important for us to keep it free because <laughs> we didn't want the templates to be the product. A funny story is that that ended up happening. We, we ended up getting product market fit just around the templates gallery or the open source repository, um, and it, it, it started to take off on its own. We, we started getting more and more organic contributions more and more uh, visits and downloads from users. And it, it started to look like the templates gallery was going to be the business. Hmm. That's funny. How, how did you recruit these people? How did you find and you know, was, was it just outbound email? Like you were, you just cold emailing people? Strangely, yes. <laughs> you know, initially we went to our friends and said, hey, would you like submit a, a template but obviously we don't all, you know, I had four co-founders, maybe we had a team of 10 people. We don't have enough friends <laughs> um, to, to get uh, what is now, you know, I think five or 6,000 templates. Uh, and so ultimately it had to be us reaching out to people we, we didn't know. And yeah, we would cold email people with basically the pitch I mentioned to you. We had an amazing team. We were all working on this and we would get people on the phone and, and make the pitch to them and then um, essentially help them craft the template. We would edit it and revise it for them to make sure that it fit our standards and that it was consistent with other templates on the site. Then for the initial contributors is, hey, our launch is going to be in September. So like, hold on until then, and then we'll ask you to help us promote it. Okay, great. So we, we've talked about the marketplace and getting contributors, but this is a two-sided marketplace. So you've got the other side as well in terms of actually recruiting customers and, and users. How did you do that? And maybe let's talk about the first, you know, thousand customers that you got because you you've got tens of thousands of customers today. So I'm I'm sure the first ten were just a lot of, you know, through your network, with, you know, friends, etc., and so on. So I'm kind of interested in this this sort of first thousand. How did you recruit those, or how did you find those customers? I think initially we had a, a fairly probably traditional launch to what a lot of companies did. We, we launched the product on Product Hunt. We did a big press release. We raised $9 million in funding. And what was unique about our seed round as well as our Series A is that um, we raised from a lot of different investors. And that was intentional to basically get a, bu- a bunch of people on our side who could help us recruit contributors and then promote the product. So we had you know hundreds of people uh, basically on our 
investor team who are helping us um, share the news. Uh, and, you know, that helped us get to a you know number one spot on Product Hunt. We got a lot of good word of mouth going. This is probably October 2019. And then, you know, we, we had started to build out some drumbeat organic marketing. So we would do spotlights on, you know, individual contributors that, that submitted templates to the site who had big followings. And we would do a profile on them with templates attached. They would share that on their socials. We would share that. And that would help that built up basically a viral loop where contributors were lending us their networks to help us find new users. We would also do like compilations of templates on a theme, like a hundred recruiting templates or a hundred marketing templates. And we would launch those on product hunt. And that would also be basically like a mini lightning strike where we could get a bunch of attention around like a single idea for, for a specific type of user. And I think that worked well, but you know, truly the, we, we saw a big updraft around COVID because essentially, you know, why would you need a template? It's, it's often when you don't know how to do something <laughs> or you want expert advice. And, you know, overnight in uh, March 2020, there was a ton of things that people didn't know how to do. <laughs> they didn't know how to transition their offices uh, into COVID-19 uh, protocols. They didn't know how to do remote work. They didn't, you know, th- uh, there was the Black Lives Matter movement in the spring. They didn't know how to do DEI. All of a sudden, people were in tons of meetings. They didn't know how to do uh, async. And so basically all of a sudden people needed <laughs> new types of knowledge uh, from, from experts that they could find and, and use. And so I, I'd say in the spring of 2020, you know, we were seeing like tens of thousands of new users each month because we, we started to react really quickly to the current events around us and take advantage of what we call fast moving water at Almanac. Like where is there like a surge of unmet demand um, to, try and, to try and catalyze that growth? Businesses can grow like fine <laughs> at a slow rate, but would fail as a startup because as, as a startup, our, our goal, our mission is to find this, to find fast growth, to grow, to grow at a fast rate. And so we, we at Almanac are always trying to find the fast moving water. And in 2020, it was around all these new types of skills and areas of expertise that everybody needed to ramp up on pretty quickly, but very few people knew how to do well. And our platform was, was perfectly designed for that. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with Bupos.com. Okay. So you, you spot this need that people are searching for, things that they want to do. What did you do with that? Were, were you doing like keyword research and then trying to build landing pages with different types of templates or like how, how did this work? Yeah, well, at that point, we had a little bit of name recognition in the market. But for example, in the early days of COVID-19, HR departments all were issuing guidance on like, what's like the out of office policy, like, you know, what are what are health restrictions? How should communication be set up? You know, how do we do work from home initially, like everybody needed the same types of documents, <laughs> and the same types of knowledge, and, and nobody really knew everyone was trying to figure it out. And, you know, there was there were people who were sharing like free Google Docs online, uh, people writing long tweet threads or LinkedIn posts. Uh, and so we would we, we would basically rapidly respond to wherever we saw conversation happening on social media, um, contact people who were publishing stuff, ask if we could republish it, publish compendiums of the best things that we found with some more context. And, and so, you know, in doing so, uh, became like a source of truth for other people who were looking for answers. And so we basically like borrowed from the momentum and we we borrowed from the credibility of the people who were organically just sharing this stuff uh, because they also wanted to help, which was, as I said, very aligned with our value proposition to uh, t- to grow our user base. Uh, you know, a funny thing happened along the way, which is that uh, we became known as essentially like a open source repository <laughs> of documents. And as a, you know, in other words, a templates gallery. And although we had this bigger vision, we were uh, around becoming a collaboration platform. We were building this document editor. We were building these workflows to be like GitHub. I think the truism in startup is that you only get product market fit for one thing. And so people began to know Almanac for being this 
like open source repo and it, where you go to find answers on, you know, pressing questions in this brave new world of work. And so that meant our users weren't like just taking the templates and then using them to collaborate privately in their own workspaces. They wanted more templates from for us and they wanted more template features. <laughs> uh, and so they were, they because we got product market fit around the templates, they wanted more and more of the same. And we were like, no, we want you to come and do this other thing. And, and they were like, no, 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 like what you're doing, what you build is great. Like, uh, you know, can I have another? And and so we we faced this choice of do we continue to build and scale this product that clearly had traction, but that wasn't the thing we wanted to do, or do we make a hard pivot and essentially abandon you know the customers and and all the value we had created around the templates gallery, or at least kind of put it on ice so that we could focus on on shifting our value proposition to what we thought was a a much bigger economic opportunity. How did you make that decision? Because you had something that seemed to be taking off, you know, a lot of potential, a lot of opportunity, and yet you decided basically to put that on the shelf. It's still, the site is still live, right? People can still go and access the, the templates. Yeah, it's still, it's still there. I mean, it's, it's like, I think any, obviously we, <laughs> we abandoned it. That was the decision that we made. The, the volume of templates growth, you know, basically flatlined as soon as we, as soon as we did that. And of course, that meant that the overall quality of the site started to degrade. People would come back to it and say like, hey, why haven't there been any new templates published in, you know, five months, 10 months, 12 months? And so uh, and so just as there's a virtuous cycle in a marketplace where as you get more supply, you get more demand. There's also a vicious cycle where as supply degrades, so does demand. If you look at what's happening with Lyft right now, it's a good real time example of this. Um, you need or, or even Facebook, you need, you need both sides to um, be moving in concert. The, the flag for us is that we were basically splitting our efforts. You know, we had most of the marketing team focused on growing um, the Almanac core, but most of the engineering team was focused on building this collaboration platform. And, and so like we were, we essentially were trying to build two companies at once. And we knew that, you know, especially when you're in the early days of growth or when you just achieve product market fit, it's, it's so hard to do one thing well, <laughs> uh, that to split the difference in the early days seemed insane and, and like a failure mode. And so we realized we had to pick a path. We couldn't do um, two things with the resources that we had. And, you know, we, we thought that we looked around at, I guess, benchmarks in the engineering space. Again, Stack Overflow is, you know, a several hundred million dollar business at, at scale. Um, GitHub uh, was bought by Microsoft for, you know, $9 billion. And so there was like 100x <laughs> difference between having a value proposition around where teams collaborate and do work versus a value proposition of where teams find answers, you know. Finding a template is maybe five to ten percent of the value in the collaboration value chain. Being the place where work is composed, where it's revised, where it's published, is probably the other ninety percent. So I think it was an easy strategic choice, much harder to to implement. We had to let go of some people on the team because we had started to build out this marketing team as the templates gallery scaled. We had you know basically GMs of verticals who were recruiting contributors and managing the content, and we basically needed to shift you know from what we were doing at the time, which was like scaling this business to go back a couple steps to essentially pre-product market fit, pre-launch to focus on the collaboration platform. That had to be a hard decision, I'm I'm sure. Like if 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 the if the the template marketplace was doing kind of averagely well or whatever, maybe you could be like, yeah, let's let's kind of walk away from that. But let's talk about the, the some of the challenges that come with building a horizontal product and and you know that's exactly what you're doing with with almanac but the problem is who do you focus on right if you just say i'm building a product for everybody that really dilutes the kind of features you build how you build them your marketing your go to market all of that stuff so tell me about firstly tell me about some of the the struggles or difficulties you had Build, you know, building a horizontal product, and then how how did you approach it? How did you focus and and try to nail the types of features you were going to build, the, your marketing message, and all that stuff? Yeah, well, I think I learned the hard way that the the startup truism that you can't ever focus enough is <laughs> is a rule that applies to everybody, and I, I think just to go back to to the context here you know we we had built this templates gallery and even that was it was hard to even know there because we had templates across all sorts of functions like who really was our customer like who wanted this more than anybody else 
And I don't think we had a good answer with the templates gallery. I think the, the eventual answer was remote teams because they needed, you know, a whole bunch of new types of knowledge and best practices to figure out how to work, you know, in this, like at the time in the, in the pandemic era environment. Um, so we, we knew we basically had a foothold around remote teams and I'd say, you know, on the core, the remote category, like dominated all the other categories. I think product management and engineering was a, a close second, but then, you know, then we basically kind of go back to pre-launch again, where we're building internally. Um, we're building a much more complicated product around a document editor. And, and because we're pre-launch, again, pre-product market fit, kind of going back to, back to those days, we had to re-answer these questions of like, who is this product for? What benefit does it deliver? What does it replace? Uh, how is it better or different? Uh, and it's really hard to answer those questions if you don't have a lot of customers, because there's 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 too many options to start to like cross them off the list. And so I, it took us a really long time to figure out a methodology to do this. <laughs> it almost feels, I think, initially like boiling the ocean because it's like, where do you start? And how do you know that it's a no? <laughs> and I think in a startup, the early days are really about momentum. Like startups are, are fueled before they're fueled on revenue by momentum. And so the trick is to find product market fit before the team gets tired and everybody leaves to go do something else that's newer and more exciting. Uh, and so like, I think when we kind of pivoted and and went back in, inside, the team was a little bit dismayed. Everybody saw the long road ahead of us. And we didn't have answers to these questions of like, who's our target customer? <laughs> What's our value proposition to them? Why, why are we gonna win? And I felt like I was, on borrowed time to try and figure it out before we started losing critical members of the team. And so that was a really scary period <laughs> for me. And I think for everybody, especially for me, because unlike what we talked about, you know, when we started the business and we had that sense of like spark or traction that where, where we were being pulled rather than pushing, all of a sudden it felt like I was, I, I compared it to a fog, like I was walking up a mountain and like through a forest and I couldn't figure out like where the path was. I lost the scent and I was just kind of like wandering around, like trying to, to find the scent, but not, not so frantically that I would scare everybody else. But it was a, it was a really like dark period to try and figure out like who, who wanted this thing. And, and because I could turn in any direction and, you know, if you go in the wrong direction too far, you've lost critical time. You have to backtrack. Um, and at this point, you know, it wasn't just me. It was a team of 20 people who were actively doing stuff. So there was a cost to, to every wrong turn I made. And I think a lot of founders who kind of pivot midstream find themselves in this position where, you know, it's not, it's not uh, no consequence like it is when you're just like it was for me in 2018 when I was just contemplating ideas on my own. We're spending money and people have dedicated their time to work for us as on our team. And uh, yeah, it was not fun. It's tough. And I'm so glad that you shared that and that analogy of, you know, the mountain and the fog and stuff, because it's it's such a tough journey for any founder and you don't want to tell the team what you're struggling with because that's just going to make them lose confidence in you but that is such a a, a great analogy in terms of just a snapshot into the difficulties and the challenges and the decisions you have to make while at the same time keeping everybody excited and motivated and moving forward hope and hopefully you know towards the you know they were in the right direction how long did it take for you to maybe not just figure all of it out but at least get to a point where going back to your analogy you felt like you could see a path again and felt that this was the one that you were going to follow for a while and and hopefully it was going to lead to the the right you know outcome yeah uh it probably took four four or five months and chris dixon calls, calls us the idea maze where you know you have elements um, like pieces of the puzzle and you're just trying to figure out how they fit together and so you know i knew okay we have a bunch of people who we found traction with because because they're newly remote teams and they're trying to figure out how to work uh, you know, I knew some of the templates that people most wanted were like standard operating policies and procedures. So I had some sense of like, okay, there's demand around this. There's fast moving water around this. You know, we were building a product that was a document editor with version control and workflows, very similar to GitHub. So it's like, here we have this asset. How do we like, what's the best use case for it? Again, this been, would have been better if we were doing this without a team, but we basically went back into customer validation where we were 
quickly putting ads out of market to see like, you know, where we could get low, low CPCs. We were building landing pages to see who's, who would sign up to them. We were doing customer interviews. We were testing stuff on social, just like basically quickly trying to figure out like, where is there a pulse um, in the market? And, you know, when you do that for three or four months, it starts to wear on the team. Like, are these guys ever going to figure it out? And of <laughs> course, everyone looks to me as a CEO for to understand like, are we okay? And so if I don't look okay, <laughs> especially on public calls, if I look worn down or scared, like everybody else is like, oh man, we're screwed. And I remember finding it just really difficult to like separate my internal feelings um, and anxiety and fear and stress from the stability and optimism I needed to portray to the team. And I remember, you know, it's always darkest before dawn. Uh, I remember one of my co-founders, uh, it was like December, I guess, 2020, and I was in Hawaii on vacation and one of my co-founders was like, I don't think this is going to work. And I was like, no, I think I think I have it. And the idea was to basically uh, portray our, we called it living documentation, um, to, to take the document under rebuilt, make it a source of truth for customers, especially remote teams, and use the workflows that we had built to enable anybody to suggest changes to those documents. So they could remain trusted for everybody, unlike a Google document where anyone can go in and edit it and you know, you don't know, like, is this the final version? Can, can I rely on this information? And Almanac, everything was locked down, but there was like these protocols where people could suggest changes through track changes or comments that then would be approved by the document owners. So very similar to how GitHub works, uh, but, for, but for, for remote teams. And so I was like, I think this is it, but of course it's still just kind of a hypothesis. So we decided kind of as a, as a next step to, to try and get a hundred customers in a hundred days, a hundred paying customers. Uh, and then we thought if we could get 100 customers in 100 days, we could certainly get 1,000 customers after that. Uh, and we thought, you know, if we could, that, that would be a sign that like we we were on the path to product market fit. And so the, the first quarter and second quarter of 2021, that was our goal, like 100 customers in 100 days. And we we did it. <laughs> we got 100 customers way faster than 100 days. And I think that speaks to the benefit of focus where rather than saying, hey, we're a document editor that can do anything for anybody, we are really focused on you know, building handbooks with suggest changes for remote teams. And, you know, that value prop, we, we built, you know, ads and did a lot of social and organic content around that value proposition. And we, we started just like racking up customers and, and that enabled us to raise our series A. Awesome. All right. So in many ways, I mean, the product is horizontal, but you, you still made a bet on a customer or type of customer that you were going to focus on and I love this idea of 100 customers in 100 days. And then once you've picked that customer and made the bet, everything sort of gets behind that, right? Like the marketing message and, you know, what, what you're, the features you're focusing on and, and things like that. I want to talk about the situation with your co-founders. And I, I know you said to me, hey, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this. And, and that's fine. I respect that. So I don't want to kind of go and dig for dirt, or, you know. But you started out, you know, you started out by yourself you went through the process of finding co-founders and eventually there were four of you and now you're back to one person again tell me at what point did the other three co-founders end up leaving the business was that around the time of this pivot or or before or, or later and what kept you going because suddenly the journey becomes a lot harder, I think, when you, you're you dealing with all of these struggles and you're the only founder left who has to figure this stuff out. You know, initially, I actually wouldn't start Almanac or, or any of the ideas I had without co-founders because there's off-repeated advice that um, starting a business on your own is a really bad idea. And so I was obsessed with finding co-founders uh, who would be committed to the long journey with me uh, and so I, I had the idea for Almanac and was getting traction for it maybe like four or five months before we actually incorporated the business because I wanted to find co-founders first. And this was in 2018. Uh, you know, I was getting introductions to people, meeting with them, and we would go through a pre-mortem exercise that was like basically preferences for the business. Like, what's your role going to be? What's my role going to be? When would we sell? Do we want an office? Um, you know, how do we make decisions? Uh, how do we divide up equity? And so interestingly, this exercise is pre-mortem took a bunch of people who I thought would have been great co-founders and made us realize that in fact, we like weren't aligned on a lot of things. It probably saved me for, from some, some bad relationships. And, you know, co-founder is interesting because it's, it's like a romantic partner that you're like, in that you're spending all your time together, but you're also like completely 
like financially committed, like without diversification, like you guys are both in it, in it together. And so it's like even more intense than a romantic relationship, I think. So finding, I was initially like really committed to finding great co-founders, ironically, as you mentioned, none of them are with the business anymore. Um, one left within a year because we just had differences of opinion about like the direction the business was going. Um, another left because he was suffering from a lot of like mental health issues, which he's written about publicly. And the last, I think, did, wasn't interested, got tired and wasn't interested in, I think, the endurance it would take to achieve um, our vision. I think that last one was really difficult for me because this, this was like my greatest fear that I would be alone. And it was the thing I said, I it was my red line. Like, I don't want to start this alone. And then all of a sudden, like I was alone. I was all my co-founders had left. And, you know, I think two things helped me. One, I realized I actually wasn't alone. Um, you know, we have a management team at Almanac of 10 people who are perfect for, for running a startup. And, and I think that's the hard thing to know when you're starting a business is like, is this person actually going to have what it takes to make it all the way in a startup? And, you know, you might think that they do, they might think that they do, but you'll, the only way you really know is when you get into it, like not, not in the first mile of the race, but when you're on like mile 45 and you're like, okay, we're in this now, we can't turn around, um, but like we're nowhere near the finish line. Um, of like a, you know, a hundred mile race, like that's when you figure out what people are made of. And, you know, I think the greatest success I've had at Almanac more than our revenue or our customers or what we built is, is that I have found a group of people who are purpose built to, to work at a startup and have exactly what it takes to like, not just succeed, but like knock any startup idea out of the water. And we talk, when we recruit people at Almanac now for any position, what we real what we realized is we're not just looking for people who are like great product managers or product marketers or engineers. We're looking for great startup generalists. There's a specific set of skills that make someone good at the startup stage, and that's actually much more important than you know whether someone's excellent at their function. Because the definition of a startup operating environment is uncertainty and ambiguity and change. So you need people who like uh, not just can tolerate that but love it <laughs> and get energy from it and thrive in it and. And so, you know, we over time had have built a team at Almanac full of those people, almost exclusively of those people. And so the three people I found initially weren't weren't those people, but I've now found 47 people who are. And so I'm lucky to be surrounded by, I think, the right people at this point that 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 will go the distance with me. And I think the second thing is, like you said, I, I had to kind of reconvince myself about why I was doing the business because and again, I crossed this red this red line I had set for myself. And so I was like, well, do I want to do this anymore? And so. I think two things that convinced me, and this was maybe last year, were the same things that convinced me to start a business in 2018. One is that I don't think there's any other thing I can do. I think I my, my unique strengths are a perfect fit for founding and running a business. I think those same strengths would make me maybe intolerable in other contexts and other roles, but they make me really good at my job. And so I don't think that there's anything else I can do <laughs> uh, as, as, as well as I do this job. And, and two, you know, I love what... I love our mission at Almanac. We published something recently called the Modern Work Method, which is essentially like agile for business. It's a compilation of, of all the things we've learned working with thousands of customers about how to work well on the internet. Um, and it's essentially like our theory about the future of work. Like if, if you want to work well and fast as a remote team, like there, there are better and worse ways to work. And, and here's what we've learned about like how the best teams operate. As, as I said, you know, that I'm not someone who could just start any business I'm a systems guy and figuring out like how people work uh, well or poorly is like the ultimate systemic challenge. And what we get to do at Almanac is build tooling that helps people work better, work faster, work more efficiently, work with more happiness. And, um, and, I, and I love that we, it's, it's the ultimate challenge <laughs> and puzzle and it's stimulating and rewarding every day. And I love that I get to be part of it. And and so getting back to, to my why, like why I'm doing this in the first place, I'm not doing it to have co-founders. I'm not doing it to raise money. Um, in my case, it doesn't, the wealth doesn't even really matter. I'm doing it because I, I love the problem that, that I get to work on and I love the people I get to work with. And, and that's more than enough. That's a great answer. Thanks for sharing that. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap up. Let's get on to the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Ready? Sure. What's one of the best pieces of business advice you've ever received? Be prepared. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, who runs the Union Square Hospitality Group. 
Uh, the book is about running a restaurant, but I think uh, serving people in a restaurant is uh, very similar to how you serve and care for customers in a startup. Great pick. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Grit and persistence, uh, never giving up, uh, even when you'd long be okay for doing so. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, going to the gym and working out, it always clears my head and helps me see things better. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? And if you don't have the time, somebody can steal. <laughs> uh, I think some way to figure out loneliness, which I think is an epidemic in modern society. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, opening up a cocktail bar. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I was a competitive skier. Were you really? Wow. I didn't find that in my research. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, I chair a nonprofit board here in San Francisco that's working on the homelessness and addiction crisis. Awesome. That's great. All right. That's a wrap. So Adam, thank you so much for uh, joining me and sharing your uh, story and your journey in building Almanac. I really appreciate you taking the time. If uh, people want to learn more about Almanac or check it out, they can go to almanac.io. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I think my DMs are open on Twitter. People are still using that at <laughs> Adam Nathan, uh, or I think my email address is uh, all over the internet. So you can always email me too. Okay, that's great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And uh, I wish you and the team the best of success. Thank you. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.